Hey guys, it's Drew and Paul, back for another podcast on Galatians. So Paul, in our last podcast, we were talking a bit about the opening to Galatians 3 and how that the, the, the Spirit is the sign of the, the New Covenant. And now we're going to move a little bit to more. Um, I'm just going to read a few verses here. Brings in Abraham. Um, I'm going to read um, verses 6 to, to 9 here. Um, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, therefore recognize that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So, Paul, what do you think about Abraham's role in this chapter here? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And uh, in part because I think it's the type of thing that we have sort of a initial impression of um, from both this chapter and um, Romans uh, chapter 4, where Paul, where um, um, where Abraham shows up uh, again. And I think often people seem to, people think of Abraham in these, in these chapters as the example of, as an ex, sort of the example of faith. Um, and I think that that, I mean, in some way that there, you know, there's truth in that, but I think that really, really misses why Paul is talking about Abraham. And you see this, you see this in Romans four. Um, in fact, if you, if you look at Romans four, I think you, you can contrast the way Paul uses Abraham and the way he uses David. So David is, is used as an example of the blessing of someone whom, to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Abraham, though, um, in Romans 4 and here, is far more significant for Paul. Uh, he's not simply an example of faith, but he is the one um, to whom is promised the, the inheritance, the eschatological inheritance, to be, um, to be Abraham's descendant. It, it, basically, I'll say it this way, being right with God, being receiving the, the promised inheritance, being brought into the age to come, uh, all this is all tied in with receiving the, bless, the promises to Abraham and his offspring. And that's why Abraham is so, so, so important in, in this pivotal part of Galatians. And we can, uh, we'll unpack that. Um, yeah, there's so much to unpack for that, but that's kind of the initial, initial thing we need to, we need to think about and drill down on. Okay. So why is it important here? Uh, let, let me, let me, let me do two things. First, let me just show you, um, why, how we know Abraham is so important in a far more, um, Far deeper way than simply, oh, he's he he believed and therefore he's right with God, and just like that, we can be right with God if we believe. So, if we keep going in the in chapter three, <clears throat> verse fourteen of Galatians three, um, in Messiah Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So what? So here, uh, salvation is portrayed as the blessing of Abraham, mm-hmm. the blessing promised to Abraham. And that's sort of identified with the promised spirit. The promised spirit is ultimately tied for Paul. He sees that as part of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic um, promise. And then you keep going. Verse 16, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. 
And you're like, what? okay. These are, for Paul, the promises are what it, the great promises of God, of salvation and of, of new creation, of an inheritance of the new earth and that sort of thing. And it, and it says, ultimately, <clears throat> the offspring is the Messiah in verse 16. Uh, and this, these promises to Abraham come before the giving of Torah. And therefore, Torah can't be the ultimate way of achieving obedience to Torah can't be the ultimate way of achieving the, mm. the promises because the promises were made to Abraham before that. And, right. and so it comes in the way of faith, which is the way the promises were received. And then look in verse 18, if the inheritance comes by Torah, then it doesn't come by promise, but no, no, God gave it by promise. And then you keep going and I'll, I'll stop in a second. And if we go into um, verse 20, verses 23 and following, that, that passage, uh, that chunk of paragraph. Now that faith has come, so the Torah was our guardian, our, our um, pedagogos, our, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting concept there, this, this sort of slave, uh, this schoolmaster driver thing uh, to keep us in line until Messiah came in order that, that we might be justified by faith. But now we're not slaves, we're not minors, we're not children, we are we belong to the Messiah, verse 29. And if that's the case, then guess what? Then you're saved. That's not what he says. Then you're, then you're Abraham's offspring. Mm. That's the whole point for Paul. That's where it's all going. Right. And if you're Abraham's offspring, then you're an heir according to the promise. And that um, the, uh, being the heir is the ultimate, is what Paul's ultimately after. So to bring it back here to the beginning of chapter three, um, Paul says, okay, so the one who gave you the spirit, did that happen by Torah or did it happen in the same way that Abraham received the promise, which is the very thing that you are inheriting now, you're receiving now. Hmm. And it's all about the Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles alike receive the Abrahamic inheritance, the promises of God will be your God and you'll be his people, new creation, uh, land, seed, and blessing, all that stuff. Um, right relationship with God through faith from the promises to Abraham. So yeah, it's all about how do you become part of Abraham's family? Right. And so the, the specific reason you'd say here that Abraham is is used, writing, writing to the Galatians here, is that is simply is, again, coming, coming back to his being prior of, of the law given. And of course, all Jews had such a high regard for for Abraham, that they were proud to consider themselves Abraham's children. And so then going back to Abraham and actually pointing out that he was before before the Torah, do you think this is something that they really kind of just didn't think about? or what? what well, it's actually really, really interesting. So if you, if you go, this is, it'd be fun to kind of delve into this in the podcast, but we probably can't. Um, but in, in some Second Temple Jewish literature, what you do, because Torah became so, so central to Jewish, what it, what it meant uh, from a Jewish perspective to be right with God. Uh, what do you do with someone like Abraham? Right. Well, what you, what you wind up doing is you, you sort of put, um, you, you sort of retroject Torah onto uh, Abraham. Sure. So Abraham basically obeys Torah uh-huh. and the patriarchs obey Torah or obey elements of Torah. Uh-huh. So that's what you do. Um, it's, it's very interesting. You know, it's very, very interesting how, how that is. Abraham he obeys part of Torah or 
is is at least a godly person uh-huh. um, before he's called. There's there's this real emphasis on the Torah being sort of um, more more timeless. I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but then then Paul Paul certainly says no sees sees it very very significant that Torah came into existence at a certain point in time and mm-hmm. did not exist before that. Right. Where for Jewish, most of Jew, Paul's Jewish, a lot of uh, Paul's Jewish uh, contemporaries, um, that was not the case. You had to basically identify the patriarchs with el- at least elements of Torah. And ha, the one thing you do have in the Abraham narrative is that he is circumcised. So this is probably something that, Paul, that sure. the opponents would be like, well, he was circumcised. Right. So you can say all you want about... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Torah observance, but see, Abraham was circumcised. And this is why Paul makes the argument um, in Romans about the fact that, that Abraham was considered justified before right. uh, his circumcision. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Right. Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit in our last podcast, but maybe we could touch in on this again here. Um, because obviously, um, outside of outside of the Jews anyway, we aren't seeing a lot of people that are insisting on a literal observance of of the Torah today. Um, and yet, I don't think the take the takeaway from Galatians for us and our churches is simply that, oh, too bad that the some of these people, some of these Jews back in Paul's day liked the Torah too much. <laughs> Glad we moved on from that. Right. Because it seems like a lot of these, a lot of the concept and the principle here that Paul was dealing with is still something that we need to be very much on guard for today. Almost a way of, I don't know what you would call it, a way of trying to turn the New Testament into a kind of new Torah. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, and that, you know, that, that's a really good, that's a good question. And I think, so I think one of the things that's really relevant in Galatians for that question is Paul's emphasis on the promise. So um, for Paul, and this is an interesting place to contrast with Paul's contemporaries. Um, so Paul's contemporaries, and I may, we may have mentioned, I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but Paul's contemporaries saw Abraham's, the Abraham story in terms primarily of, they looked at Abraham as a faithful, obedient, godly person. Mm. Um, and again, again, there's different, you know, some people would want to sort of retroject el- at least elements of Torah into into the patriarchs' lives, and uh-huh. not all, but um, but at least they want to stress the fact that he was a he was a godly person, he was an obedient person, he was a faithful person, and and in some cases that preceded God's calling of him. Like uh-huh. God called him, God God bas- God called him because Abraham was a good person and already had rejected idols and was praying and seeking God and all that stuff. So it's very much about Abraham. Um, in contrast, Paul reads um, the Abraham narrative, and I think I, I, I think this is this is considerably more sensitive to the Genesis narrative itself. Um, he reads it as a story of God's promise mm-hmm. um, that Abraham is fundamentally, um, as as one author says, he's not the main character in his own story that he's sort of, he's, he's the recipient of God's promise. And, and so I actually think that's really relevant to how we read scripture and how we think about the Christian life. Um, because for Paul, what, what he's trying to get out here is, so he, he con- in, in chapter three, he's constantly contrasting the Torah 
with the promise. Mm. And I think if we, we may not have the temptation to go back to Torah observance, right. but we do often have the temptation to organize our, our Christianity, our, our way of, of reading scripture or our way of doing the Christian life um, in a, it, not in a promise centered way where we, where we sort of want to think of ourselves as the main characters in our, in our own story. Mm-hmm. Whereas Paul says, absolutely not. Messiah is the main character in your story. And it's all about you receiving the promise. And so like, if, 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 if I think we can see how this works out when we have an over, if we have an overemphasis or if our constant Herman way of, if every time we open the Bible, it's like, oh, I want to find out what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Or our church is like, well, the main thing about our church is that we need to be doing all these things right. Um, I think we've missed the centrality of the promise. Mm. And I think that is where this contrast, faith in God's promise is for Paul, what is central to this, uh, to this, to this message. Right. And I think it has deep implications uh, for how we organize our, our lives. Right. Yeah, before we turn the mics on, we were talking about this. What was, what was the word for it again? The um, imperative? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm calling it a, a hermeneutic of imperatives. Right. <laughs> it's, it's so true, though, because I think it's so easy to, to read even the New Testament. And, you know, we might say we want to take everything that Jesus and the apostles said very seriously. But if in doing that, our assumption is that the point of everything was to try to extract some kind of a new rule and regulation from the teaching, we're, we're probably going to miss the whole point of what's going on. I mean, especially if we're looking at a book like Galatians here, where the whole point of it is, please don't do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And, and, and again, like the second half of Galatians is all about walking by the spirit and, right. and specific, <laughs> specific, uh, um, uh, ways that obedience works out and the necessity of walking in, you know, in with the fruits of the spirit, all that kind of stuff. So Paul's very much into doing what mm-hmm. and living rightly. Right. But it's it's part of this vision of uh, that God's God's promise has come to fulfillment in Jesus, and God has somehow swept us into it by faith. Um, and that if you go to the Bible with a hermeneutic of imperatives, basically with a, with a set of gla- pair of glasses on that says what really what really matters is the things I can do, uh-huh. I can find to do. You're going to miss the main story yeah. because the main story is about the fact that God is bringing about something through Jesus that you could never do. Right. So that's, you know, and this is, I think this is, this is what Paul's after here. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, this is very fascinating to me. And I think in some of our churches, there's a, there's a reaction to um, kind of the, the lackadaisical tendencies of much of mainstream American Christianity. And I think rightly so. But then I think as we, as there are certain things that we do want to take more seriously, we can kind of start to take that into places where it isn't helpful. Um, even if there are things that we're wanting to take more seriously, we also need to take the teaching here in Galatians more seriously. And I think that's where it's very helpful to have a, a broad picture of, of Christianity and have it be something that um, um, becomes a lot more a lot more real in our lives. And I, w- I was just kind of thinking about this today, kind of just thinking over my life and some of my experiences. And I feel like at the end of the day, um, how would you say it? Um, both those that are living a life that claims to be um, 
following Christ, but doesn't really in any way show 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 a change because of of their beliefs. Both that, both that sh- that that shows a, a misunderstanding in, of the reality of Christianity. But so does um, a constant emphasis on things that we're trying too hard to extract from from the Bible that aren't really there. Like, and I. Well, I think Paul. I think Paul sort of beat you to it. Um, hmm. So, in in uh, essentially in chapter four, where he talks about the elements of the world, the stichia du cosmo in Greek, hmm. um, it's it's fast. It's super fascinating because whatever whatever he means by the elements of the world, and we we may talk about that later, but he puts he seems to put um, Gentiles and their their practices before conversion uh-huh. in the same lump it together with these uh, maybe Jewish um, feast days and calendrical observances and things like that. And you're like, wait, and both of them to him, this like um, idol worship or whatever, and this uh, uh, following, you know, Jew- certain Jewish practices as like part of the elements of the world. And it's these like, these things that we like, wait, no, those aren't the same thing. Like yeah. one's like terrible idolatry and the other one's like biblical. Sure. But, but I, I think it's, it's similar to what you're saying. It's like yeah. um, sometimes uh, a life that I think, I think Paul would say that someone who is just living for themselves in what we would say is a quote worldly way uh-huh. and somebody who's on the other side, very religious, very conservative, very spiritual, whatever, uh, all ra- but all wrapped up in certain external practices that are not necessarily directly biblical. Right. I think Paul would say both of those, the super liberal guy and the super conservative guy, are sort of operating under the same right. fundamental, uh-huh. you know, approach. Yeah, uh, which is something to think about. Yeah. yeah, I've even thought I've even thought about it some in my personal study of Book of Matthew right now when looking at how Jesus just totally tears into the Pharisees. And, mm-hmm. I, and we think of the Pharisees, of course, as um, people that prescribed all these unnecessary extra laws and that kind of thing. And, and there is that. But there's also just the times when he basically says, you're not even doing the basic things that the law is requiring right. of you. Exactly. Right. And so right. The, the difference between between them and, and the sinners that they were that they were all up in arms about is is really not that not that significant. But but they but it seemed drastically different. Right. You know, and and you know we we ha- we all have this very negative impression of the Pharisees because the only sort of representation we get of them is in the Gospels where they're opposing Jesus. Right. But uh, actually, if we read carefully, even even the Gospels and Acts, the Pharisees are not not simply these like they're not they're it's not they're not automatically bad people. Right. Like there's good Pharisees out mm-hmm. there, uh, and Paul considers himself from the you know part of the Pharisaic tradition. And uh-huh. Jesus even seems to say, Hey, you know, the Pharisees, they're like, listen to what they teach sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, so the Pharisees are in that, in their day, I mean, again, this is risk oversimplification, but are people who really, really care very, very much about following Torah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yet yeah, you're right. they, you can be very, very concerned about following Torah and miss um, miss the heart of it. Right. So, yeah. Sometimes I wonder, and this is this is a concept that I was thinking about in 
book I was reading the past couple of days. Um, if if this kind of microscopic view of of things that doesn't take into balance the whole actually means that we're more likely to <laughs> to miss the whole to miss the, the errors that we should be catching. Um, an example of this was a book I was reading. Dude talked about how he who he had a he had a draft of a of an article that he sent it to a newspaper, and they sent it back with um, with a whole load of edits that he thought were just absolutely absurd. And so he sent it to another another public publishing house, and they sent it back with one edit. There was an incorrect date in the article, and the last publishing house had missed that. Nice. So I think I think it's just it's it's so so easy even even just thinking about our, our Christian experience to kind of be the same way where we kind of have this kind of finicky microscopic view of things that we think need to change and trying to analyze where these problems are and what's causing us to have this trouble in the church or whatever. And we're so wrapped up in this that the things right in front of us that we know straight from scripture mm-hmm. um, are things that we can we can simply miss. So I think we need to be very, very careful um, that we that we have this this view of, of what really is at the central at the core of the gospel here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's keep talking because the next things we get we have to talk about are Hagar and Sarah and the elements of the world and mm. slaves. So oh, wow. it's a very fascinating uh, conglomerate of right. odd stories and topics. Mm-hmm.